Welcome to Doing a World of Good, a podcast from the American Institute of Chemical Engineers and generously supported by Raj and Kamla Gupta, shining the light on the positive works of our members and supporters. I'm your host, Bob Norp. And today we have with us two fascinating women using their considerable talents to help radically transform the medical and public health sectors. First up, we have Dr. Amita Gupta, who is Deputy Director of the John Hopkins Center for Clinical Global Health Education and Associate Professor of Infectious Diseases at the John Hopkins School of Public Medicine with a joint appointment in international health at the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. And next, we welcome Dr. Sujata Bhatia, a professional engineer, physician, and professor of chemical and biomolecular engineering at the University of Delaware, where she focuses on teaching engineering analysis as a means towards solving human health issues. Welcome to the program, both of you. Thanks for having us. I, look, I've always found it pretty fascinating how chemical engineering principles are so applicable to the human body. I mean, when you think about it, after all, we're really just walking, talking biochemical factories. So how does approaching medical and public health issues as engineering problems, Amita, change the perspective on solving these problems going forward? What's your take on that? Well, thanks, Bob, for that question, and I think it's really interesting to think about the intersection of um, the engineering disciplines and the medical and public health disciplines. Um, I, I think the, the engineering um, systematic process um, measures and, and the, uh, the logical thinking behind um, how to create products um, and processes is very much applicable uh, to how we um, can think about medicine and public health, uh, you know, whether it be from the investigation of chemicals in the body and their interactions to actually um, testing therapeutics in clinical trial settings where you're sort of trying to do a systematic investigation and look at, um, uh, you know, look at in a very systematic way an outcome of interest that's of relevance to public health. So uh, I think there's a lot of uh, engineering problems that inform um, medicine and public health. And I think you've got Dr. Bhatia, who we'll hear from, who has a very practical, applied way of, uh, of assessing this. And I, I probably have more of a indirect way of, of assessing that currently in my, in my current uh, way of um, doing my clinical and uh, clinical research work. Yeah, I, 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 I can totally hear what you're saying, because the problem-solving aspects of engineering um, really do bring a certain discipline that is uh, maybe unique to the medical profession. I mean, Dr. Bhatia, how do you look at the problems going forward? I mean, it's just like, do you, I mean, how do you take the engineering discipline that is so core to your background and apply it to the medical profession that you've chosen for yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is something I get really excited about because I love teaching my students about how you can apply engineering to medical because there are a lot of things that can be improved if you apply an engineering mindset. So Dr. Gupta talked very eloquently about, you know, the systematic approach of engineering. And that's very true. So engineers in general are very good at assessing risks, assessing failure modes, um, looking at numbers, looking at statistics. Um, so it's a very um, data-driven approach 
solving problems of morbidity and mortality and lessening the global burden of disease. So I do think engineering has a very powerful approach that's data-driven, um, that's mathematically driven. But beyond that, I also think there are very specific ways that chemical engineering informs medicine. So, you know, what's interesting about engineering is that different engineers view the human body in different ways. So if you ask a mechanical engineer to describe the human body, the mechanical engineer will say, well, it's a bunch of joints and levers. And, you know, they'll think about the hip joints and the knee joints and so on and the mechanics of it. If you ask an electrical engineer to describe the human body, uh, that person will talk about you know, all of the circuitry of the body, right, in the brain, and we have circuitry actually uh, in our guts as well, you know, um, all of this signaling that's going on in the human body. If you ask a chemical engineer to describe the human body, a chemical engineer will look at the human body and see a series of tubes and a pump that's driving it, right? So fluid mechanics can help us to understand fluid flow in the arteries and to understand basic problems of atherosclerosis. You know, why is it that atherosclerotic plaque induces flow disturbances? Um, and how does that contribute to further injury of the artery? Okay, so that's one specific way. Thermodynamics can inform pressure volume relationships in the heart. Mass transfer, which is the study of how molecules move via diffusion and convection, this can inform the function of the kidneys. So a chemical engineer is very, very comfortable modeling the flow of fluids, the flow of molecules, the pressure volume relationships in various organ systems in the body. A chemical engineer is also going to be very comfortable understanding um, the transfer of a therapeutic drug, let's say, from a pill or a drug depot, let's say a patch, into the human body. As well, chemical engineers in particular are very good at understanding macromolecules, right? Because chemical, engineer, chemical engineering is based on the foundational science of chemistry, right? Mm. So you could say, okay, the body is a series of tubes, but what's traveling through those tubes, those are all macromolecules, right? So DNA is basically a polymer of nucleotides. Protein, which is our basic unit of structure and function in the human body, all proteins are polymers of amino acids. And then our unit of energy in the human body, which is uh, polysaccharides, are basically polymers of starches. So chemical engineers are also very comfortable talking about polymers. And guess what? DNA, RNA, proteins, and polysaccharides are our you know, molecules for gene transfer, for um, energy transfer, and for structure and function are all polymers. So there's a lot that engineering can bring. You know, what you've described to me is kind of at the heart, the differences between engineering. I mean, on one side, you have this approach to engineering, which is very product driven, uh, create a device or deal with the mechanics. Um, or you can take a process or a system and you can figure out how to maximize or optimize that process or system. 
And I wanted to bring Dr. Gupta into the conversation here again, because, you know, when you look at the different ways that you can approach problems, whether it's by devices or mechanics versus processes and systems, which do you see as being most effective in medicine? Or is it largely case by case and you really have to pick and choose which methodology you're going to apply? Well, Bob, that's a, that's a great question, and I would say that it's always context-dependent, uh, and that's sort of my way out of that uh, answer to, to say that, obviously, it depends on what question you're asking. So if you're, for example, uh, trying to improve a, t- a diagnostic for tuberculosis, and, you know, I'll give you a, an example. Um, they've been trying to optimize um, uh, tuberculosis detection in urine. Uh, to do simple point-of-care diagnostics. And there's been um, the urinary uh, lipoarubumenin glycan test, uh, urine LAM as it's known. Um, but it's only sensitive when there's a certain amount of um, the, the TB bacteria and products in, in the urine. And so there's been efforts from engineers to optimize using nano um, technology and nano cage um, uh, you know, ability to then do a better job of detecting those proteins by really understanding the chemistry and the mechanism by which they can do better detection. And so there it would be about optimizing, understanding the biology and really thinking about what can be done to augment the signal. Um, in other scenarios, when you're looking at um, healthcare quality and trying to do quality improvement measures, you know, at here at our, at where I work at Hopkins, we have the Armstrong Institute of Patient Care and uh, Safety, and they use sort of the pilot um, checklist model for that, that's used in the aeronautical um, uh, industry, and really to try to sort of develop very systematic ways to say, you know, when you're in the operating room, have you done X? Have you now, you know, cleaned the surface? Have you administered the antibiotic? Have you, um, and there's a, there's a very standardized checklist to ensure the process measure of, uh, is done systematically the same way each time and really re- minimizes error in the, in the process. So um, I think it really depends on what the question and the problem is at hand and the tools can all be um, applied uh, with, with that um, in mind. And Dr. Bhatia, what's your take on this? Because I know that from reading into your background in in preparation for this program, um, you take a very product-oriented approach towards solving issues with your students. Um, You seem to encourage a a device philosophy of like you can solve problems with devices and productize the solutions. So do you find that to be the, the primary way of solving problems or is processes and, and systems also play a, uh, a critical role in, in developing solutions for medical problems? So I would say both are very important. Um, when we educate our students, particularly our senior design students in chemical engineering, we teach them both about process design product design. And I actually think that's the power of a chemical engineering education is that it's one of the few engineering branches that emphasizes process as well as product. Mm. Um, So, you know, if you go to, say, a mechanical engineering senior design class or even a biomedical engineering senior design class, you're going to see a lot of product development, but you won't see process development. And it's really both process and product. And one thing that a lot of biochemical engineers say is that the process is the product, which means that your product is going to be influenced by 
your production process, by your implementation process. And so I do emphasize product design. It's part of my um, practical background. You know, I spent close to eight years at DuPont um, working on uh, adhesives for wound closure. And I'm happy to say that although DuPont has been down, those adhesives actually were bought by DSM and are now in clinical trials. So that was my background was bringing something from the bench to clinical trials. And so I like, I like the, what you're saying here because it's just like, I, I think, is very important. yeah, I, th I think that there's, there's definite benefits in either approach, but taking a productization approach to solving problems uh, might actually inspire more solutions coming down the pike. I mean, it's just like, it's just human nature to want to productize something and, and sell it at some point. And, and that could potentially bring in some, I don't know, brighter thinkers into this, into the mix in terms of trying to solve these problems. Am I correct in that? Or am I just over, overreaching here with that thought? No, I mean, I think you're right. And, and the thing is education itself is, is product development. I mean, I view the students, the chemical engineers that we're producing as a product of our educational system as well. So I think product development not only helps in medicine, but even in engineering education. If we say, okay, right? Like we're, we're not just building engineering devices when we teach senior design, we're also building engineers. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, here's the, here's a thought, and I wonder about this, Dr. Gupta. I mean, is there widespread acceptance of this methodology now, or do you still run into skepticism of bringing engineering principles into the medical um, the medical community? Absolutely not. I think there's uh, n n not skepticism. I think it's incredibly valued. And as we become more and more independent and really realize the value of interdisciplinary um, work, um, forming teams, and that's uh, is, is with, which you comprise engineers, physicians, um, and, and many other uh, mathematicians and, and people with data science abilities to come together to really solve problems is really the wave of the future. And that goes everything from drug discovery, device, and product optimization to process improvement. Um, so, so I completely think that that's really how we're starting to think about problems is you know, not just about a niche expertise and, and, and with one, one sort of way of approach, but actually having a group of people to come around and say, here's our problem. Let's think of new ways and how, how you see the problem, how you see the problem, how you see the problem. And then can each of our, inter, uh, our, each of our expertise come together to think, is there a new way of thinking about this problem that now depends on each of our strengths? Um, so, you know, it, it's it's very much um, valued. It, it, and when we think about tissue engineering, transplant, drug discovery, um, new devices uh, for, um, you know, uh, treating um, heart attacks, the whole nine yards. And it really is, it's about bringing engineers, medicine, um, and, and data science uh, together. And, and where are you seeing the biggest impacts in your own work from partnering medicine with engineering disciplines? I mean, have you seen any, can you give any particular examples where it's um, uh, particularly helpful or has been helpful to you? 
Yes, I mean, I can give you a very concrete example, which is right now um, we've had this transformational science that's happened with treating HIV, where we took a uniformly fatal disease and through drug discovery realized we can now um, control the virus and people can live much healthier long life as if they didn't have the disease. Now, what's really being engineered now is to use principles of nanotechnology in developing long-acting formulations for the drugs so that um, we can overcome the need to take the drug every day and deal with people who have um, non-adherence issues, for example. Now, when, so, you talk about when you talk about nanotechnology, are you talking about nano devices or are you talking about uh, nano processes? Well, they're nano devices and processes because you have to create uh, devices that can release the drug in a very, you know, in concentrations that are uh, very uh, minimal and over a long period of time. Um, but you also are thinking about how to create the chemical structures to be optimized to do that. So um, making them more potent, for example, um, and, and less toxic. So they've done that with a, a drug called tenofovir, um, uh, which has a lot of intracellular activity and created it now to be long acting. Um, so, so it involves both types of processes, and that was very much work with chemists, engineers, and physicians together. And Dr. Batia, where are you seeing the biggest impact in your own work? I mean, uh, any, any particular stories that you'd like to share as far as where engineering has been particularly helpful in solving a medical problem? So I think that one of the best ways that engineering is applied to solve medical problems is in understanding medical device failures. So why is it that when we implant the best drug-eluting stents for coronary artery disease, still in the long run, somewhere between you know, six and eight percent of those are going to um, show restenosis, which is reclogging, right? Mm -hmm. And that's an area where I think engineering analysis has been very helpful to look at what is the effect of stent implantation on, uh, as I mentioned, the fluid flow in the artery. And how I does love that this. I love this. You know, it's just like I, I think that we, we, we forget that failure is often the best way to figure out how to do something better. And, you know, it's just like when you're talking about engineering, that's what we, we live to do. We live to figure out where things went wrong and how can we improve the process and improve the flow and improve the output in the end. Right, exactly. And if you look at where the field is going, you know, I use coronary stents all the time in my biomedical transport class for engineers, um, because they're such a great example of, you know, you look at where the field is going and what you see is that um, it, it's, it's making a lot of sense where the field is going because the field is now progressing towards degradable stents. And from an engineering point of view, that makes perfect sense because it's like, oh, okay, you don't need the stent there permanently. And if you have it there permanently, you're inducing permanent flow disturbance. So why not have something degradable? In a way, you know, Dr. Gupta mentioned tissue a degradable stent or other kind of degradable device is a form of tissue engineering. You're providing a temporary scaffold. You're allowing the tissue to heal, to return to its healthy native state. And then the device goes um, from an engineer's point of view. That's just exactly what you want. So engineering helps to um, inform us when we see failures. And then engineering helps us to design 
a better solution. So absolutely, like so much chemical engineering analysis that goes through designing a degradable stent. If that stent degrades the wrong way, like imagine, right, you could have a stent that degrades in one of two ways. One is that it slowly dissolves away in a very controlled fashion, okay? And the other, sort of like if you drop a Tums pill, right, into uh, water and you see it sort of slowly fizz away, that's kind of what you want. What you don't want is that you implant something degradable like a stent or some other, um, and it degrades into chunks. Because if you get chunks coming out, guess what? You're reclogging. So chemical engineering is useful for analyzing, you know, chemical degradation, diffusion, and so on. So it helps it helps us to understand why things fail, but then it also helps us to design a better solution. And you mentioned process versus product before. Chemical engineering has also been very powerful in helping to design better manufacturing processes, not just for devices, but also for drugs. You know, we can now manufacture things like insulin or anti-malarial drugs using biomanufacturing. That's all chemical engineering that you need for. Yeah, ap absolutely. And I think it's apropos that you bring up the whole, you don't want things disintegrating into chunks after I just had a, a kitchen sink back up and a major rotor rooter thing to get it happening again. <laughs> so, I know exactly what you mean. It's just like you, you clog up the pipes with chunks and nothing's going to work. Um, Dr. Gupta, um, does starting with an engineering mindset in medicine provide any benefits when it comes to scaling a solution for mass deployment in terms of public health? I mean, one of the interesting aspects of engineering is that we don't just deal with the problem itself. We deal with the problem and the future state of the problem and how that problem can be solved by our solution at scale. So does that same mindset help you in the public health sector and scaling your solutions for mass benefit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that um, it, it can. I don't know if, if, if all of us are, are sort of necessarily always at skilled at doing so, but we sort of often connect with experts. It can go from helping with modeling. So when you're trying to model the scale, what are the components you have to take into consideration for the scale up? Um, and, but also clearly when um, we, we rely on people who have a good understanding of how scalable a device or a product or a process is and what are the, the sort of pitfalls and the advantages and, and doing that, um, the risk benefit assessment to, to determine how best to scale. And just very practically, I mean, understanding um, how well the device works, how long it will work, um, what are, it, you know, the time to failure, so to speak. Um, are all considerations for understanding scale. How do you um, do cost uh, innovation to develop the best device for the least amount of cost? I mean, all of that requires um, engineering and, and helps with scaling up um, the product and the process. So uh, in broad terms, I, I definitely think that there's a whole science to that, and we do rely on the expertise and the know-how of, of engineering discipline to uh, take advantage of that. Um, and, but, you know, that, that's balanced with the fact that, you know, sometimes I will say I've worked with engineers, biomedical engineers, chemical engineers. I mean, sometimes you need the uh, human reality and many of the other things that are uh, part of the process that we are not, that engineers don't always necessarily confront. So, you know, um, that there's be human behavior, um, while it has a science to understand what, you know, inform people's decisions, when we try to scale things and think we have it all lined up 
um, many other factors come into the equation. So, so I think that's why it does need an interdisciplinary approach. And it's not just about what looks great when you did your planning and process and, 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 um, um, plan on paper and, and had it all the prototypes all developed and, and, um, and figured out. So, so it, 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 it is often a complex problem. And so we bring people who think about, uh, complexity uh, and those who think about simplicity and making it simple together to really figure out how best to scale, bring things to scale. And, and Dr. Bhatia, um, piggybacking on that, you know, this, this whole reality of human behavior impacting the perfect engineering solution, how do you wrestle with that and how do you teach your students to wrestle with that in solving these problems? Yeah, that's such a great Actually, whenever I teach my students about product development, especially for the biomedical field, the first thing I say to them is, you know, be driven by the data. So one thing that we know about human beings is that um, humans are notoriously bad at estimating risk. Um, and I think that what's valuable about engineering is it sort of takes you out of your emotions, takes you out of your feelings a little bit and puts you more in sort of like, takes you away from the Captain Kirk mode and puts you more in the Dr. Spock mode, if you will, mm. where you really have to look at the data. So one thing we know is that human beings overestimate the risks of relatively rare disastrous consequences and underestimate the risks of relatively common diseases. So I will often say to my youngest students, okay, what do you think world's leading killer. Like if you could work on anything at all, what do you think is the world's leading killer? And they will often resort to what they have seen the latest headlines about. So they'll say, well, Dr. Bhatia, is it Ebola virus? Is it Zika virus? You know, and I'll say, no, it's, it's coronary artery disease. Look at the data. Look at what's killing the most people. Coronary mm. artery disease, most men and women, and it's not likely to be displaced anytime soon. Yeah. Um, you know, we see diabetes is rising. Um, you know, uh, cancer is obviously, you know, when taken together, all cancers obviously cause significant morbidity and mortality. So I, I think that engineering analysis is helpful for modifying human behavior so that we can get a better handle on what our risks are and how to address those risks. Because I think that human beings or um, the, the most common things that they can do to improve their health. It's like doctors, right? Um, there are really, really common sort of everyday things that, you know, practicing clinicians can do to minimize risks to their patients. You know, Otto Gawande uh, has, you know, pioneered the checklist revolution and Dr. Gupta mentioned checklists, right? Washing your hands, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that these are areas where engineering can help to modify human behavior for the better, you know, just like, okay, how can I prolong my life? Okay, well, you know, maybe I could go and develop a Zika virus vaccine or Ebola vaccine. And those are very, very important things to do. Um, but I could also, you know, make sure that I exercise every day, make sure that I eat my fruits and vegetables, make sure I get enough sleep, make sure I wear a seatbelt, you know, so I think engineering <laughs> helps us with risk. Well, well put, well said. 
Um, let me ask you both here as we wrap up. What what do you see the need, the biggest need to f- focus on in the coming years as being? I mean, Dr. Gupta, wh- what what do we need to focus most on in the coming years, and how can chemical engineers help? Bob, can I ask you to repeat that question? Sorry, I. Uh... Sure, sure. Um, I I was just asking, what do you need? What do you see as being the biggest need of focus in the coming years, and how can chemical engineering help to solve that problem? You know, from the medical standpoint. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, Dr. Vidi has given some really wonderful examples of what are some of the critical health um, needs that often get, um, I think, have a lot more room for improvement and innovation and where chemical engineers can have a real important place. So tackling cardiovascular disease, uh, both from a point of view of uh, you know, prevention we know is important. Um, how do we think about the problem? What are what are have we failed at, and how can we make the the uh, ch- change human behavior in a systematic way? Um, but also, then once you have the disease, thinking about how to combine products that can help uh, to uh, facilitate adherence and better outcomes. So, can we combine? things that we know we want people to take. So statins, can we take out the harm from the drug and improve its um, beneficial properties by understanding uh, chemistry and um, uh, you know drug design? Uh, can we um, make better vaccines, um, both for uh, chronic disease as well as infectious disease more readily? I mean, one of the biggest challenges has been developing a sustainable flu vaccine that we don't have to take each year, Um, understand the protein biology, understand the chemistry and the human host response, um, and then take uh, design principles and develop a universal flu vaccine um, so that we can readily vaccinate people and and stop um, epidemics and pandemics from occurring. Um, So those are some examples of where chemical engineering um, can be brought to bear with, uh, with you know, tackling future public health problems. And, and Dr. Batio, what do you see as the biggest need uh, from a medical standpoint in the coming years? And where do we need to focus your, where would you focus your resources? Yeah, so the biggest place I would focus would be, uh, number one, um, developing interventions before disease happens and after disease, um, that allow the body to heal itself. And so tissue engineering is certainly inspired by this idea. Dr. Gupta mentioned vaccines, right? Like cancer vaccines are also inspired by this idea. Like, okay, let's leverage the body's innate immune system to fight off cancerous cells. Let's these innate immune system, the body healthy. Um, Let's leverage the body's innate regenerative capabilities to regenerate tissue so that we're moving away from sort of external kind of artificial um, interventions um, and more towards returning the body to its healthy state. So that's one area I would focus on. The other area I would focus on is you mentioned scale up, and that's true. Chemical engineers are very good at scale up, very good at scaling production of therapeutics and devices 
so that it is cost effective. Um, but in parallel to that, chemical engineers can also scale down. And what I mean by scaling down is chemical engineers are in a unique position to look at the molecular basis of disease um, and to molecular level solutions so that we're not, you know, sort of implementing some sort of crude solution um, to um, a disease process, right? Like, it, you know, it's sort of like, um, you know, I think a lot of the drugs right now, cancer drugs, are sort of overkill for what it is that we're do. Um, so, you know, can we become more targeted, um, targeting the exact molecular basis of disease and just fixing, tweaking in that area? We can do that, right? We can target drug delivery to where it's needed or, you know, with these advents of target gene delivery to where it's needed. Uh, then we will lessen the risk of side effects um, and, again, help the body return to its native state. Well, this has been a really fascinating conversation, guys. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you for having us, Bob. Really a pleasure. And yeah, great thanks, to share the platform with Dr. Bhatia. Yeah, yeah, great to share with Dr. Gupta. I'm just so honored to do this. Um, Dr. Gupta is like amazingly... Uh, Dr. Bhatia yeah. seems to be dropping off. You're, you're, you're breaking up here a little bit, so... Yeah. <laughs> but, oh. I, 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 I gather that both of you really enjoyed it, so that's fantastic. And to our, to our listeners, our guests today have been Dr. Amita Gupta and Dr. Sujata Bhatia. For more details about the topics we discussed or to find out more about the Doing a World of Good program, visit doingaworldofgood.org. And that does it for this episode of Doing a World of Good. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, search for us on your favorite podcast directory or visit doingaworldofgood.org. On behalf of everyone at the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, I'm Bob Norp. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.